0: Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word, through which we can become your people. Help me now to preach it faithfully. And may your Holy Spirit enlighten our eyes to understand it, and enable our hearts to believe it, and empower our lives to live it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's not difficult to see that our world is deeply divided we only need to observe Malaysia's history over the last 60 years, I've been told again and again what Malaysia used to be like. All the races freely interacting in schools, friendships crossing the boundaries of race and religion. There was at least an appearance of unity in the nation. But now the divisions are clear for all to see. We are divided by race, we are divided by religion, we are divided by social status, we're divided by politics. We are a nation that is deeply divided, a nation that is increasingly becoming tribal, protecting our own kind and rejecting those who are different to us. And, and what we see in Malaysia on a smaller scale, we see played out on the global scale. Uh, right now, of course, uh, there has been this war raging between Israel and Palestine. We thank God for a ceasefire. Black Lives Matters shows the deep divisions in the US. There's been conflicts over vaccines around the world, particularly between the EU and the UK. We could go on with so many examples. Our world longs for unity, but no matter how much we try to create it, it, it never seems to work. Whether it's the United Nations or the World Cup football or the Olympic Games, if they're going to happen this year, all these have the ideals of bringing us together. But everywhere we look, we are divided. But today we see that there is one place in the world where true unity can and should be found. Regardless of race, regardless of age, or social status, or education, or or anything else. The one place unity can and should be found is the church. Well, so far in Ephesians, we've been introduced to God's great plan, and we've seen that his great plan is to unite all things under the rule of Jesus. Remember chapter 1, verse 9, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And we've seen throughout chapters 1 and 2 that that unity is only created by the grace of God as he unites us with Christ and blesses us with every spiritual blessing. And in chapter 2, how, how, how God takes people who were dead in sin and makes them alive in Christ, saved by his grace. So God's great plan is to unite all things under Jesus, And in our passage today we see how God does that through the cross. Because the the cross has implications not for not just for us as individuals, but for us corporately. The gospel not only reconciles us to God, but reconciles us to one another. True unity we will see comes as we remember the gospel and as we live out the gospel. There are three things Paul wants us to remember today. Firstly, remember who you were. Secondly, remember what Christ has done. Thirdly, remember who you are now. Remember the past, the present, and the future of salvation so that we can live as God's united people. Well, firstly, remember who you were before you knew Christ. Remember who you were before you knew Christ. Now, of course, some of us find it hard to remember a time before we were Christian. I myself grew up in a Christian family since I was young. And uh, some of us have had that privilege of being in a Christian family for generations. That's a wonderful blessing to give thanks to God for. But it's important for us to remember that it wasn't always so. At some point as we go back... Uh, We weren't believers. It was not so long ago that there were very few believers here in Malaysia. There was a time not so long ago when headhunters would have killed Christian ministries and had them for breakfast. Uh, Personally, some of us can remember the time we turned to Christ and how that changed our lives. But regardless, Paul wants us to imagine and to, to remember what life was like before you knew Christ before your family, before your country, knew Christ. Firstly, remember how the Gentiles were rejected by God's people. Remember how the Gentiles were rejected by God's people. Verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. The contempt of Jews towards Gentiles could be seen in that term uncircumcised. It was a term of deep hatred, of deep rejection. In the Old Testament, of course, God chose Israel to be his special people. He he entered into a covenant relationship with them and, and circumcision was the sign of the covenant, the sign that they were his people and anyone who didn't have the sign of circumcision was cut off from among God's people. Uh, I think it's a little bit like here in Malaysia. You can tell a genuine Malaysian from a foreigner, not just by the lars and by the, the LAKSA, but from one key sign. Right? Every Malaysian will have a little mark on their, I think it's the left arm, where they have received their vaccinations. Foreigners like me don't have it. Now, of course, circumcision itself was not something that was visible uh, in normal everyday life, but their distinctness was shown in their lives, in their food laws, and their festivals, and, and especially in the temple. Gentiles were excluded from entering the temple at pain of death. Jews would not eat with Gentiles, let alone associate with them. Gentiles were rejected. Uh, but it wasn't just that Gentiles were socially cut off from God's people. They were, they were also cut off from God himself, separated from Christ. Verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, the Jews were near to God, but the Gentiles were far off. The Gentiles were excluded. They were hopeless. They had no relationship with the creator of the universe. They had no hope of escaping his judgment, And that too was symbolized in the temple. The temple, there was a great wall that separated Gentiles from God's people. Gentiles excluded from drawing near to the presence of God. Paul wants us to remember. Remember what life was like before Christ came. Imagine life without Christ. It's a life without God. It's a life without hope. It's a life of exclusion and rejection. And as much as we can remember what such a life apart from Christ is like, it will help us to appreciate what Christ has done for us. In verse 13, we once again read those wonderful gospel words, those words of grace that just change everything, those words, but now. But now, you were rejected, you were excluded, you were cut off with no God and no hope, but now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What glorious good news! Jesus' death has changed everything. Jesus' death means that Gentiles like us can now draw near, we can have relationship with God, we can have a real hope, Because Jesus' death brought salvation, not only for Jewish people, but for people from all nations, for Gentiles like us. So that brings us to point two. Remember what Christ has done. Remember what Christ has done. Jesus, through his death on the cross, has brought peace. He's brought horizontal peace. He's brought vertical peace. His death means that those who were formerly at war with one another can now be reconciled and restored. Firstly, we see Jesus' death brings peace with one another. His death brings peace with one another. His death creates a whole new humanity. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Jesus' death on the cross ended... The hostility between Jews and Gentiles that we saw last week that when we put our faith in Christ, we are spiritually united with Christ. Like a, a husband and a wife become one flesh in marriage, we become one with Christ by faith. And that union with Christ, well, it also brings union with one another. Because if I am united with Christ and, and you are with, united with Christ, then you and I are also united with one another as well. The two are made One. The cross is the place of unity for all. Verse 14 For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now we've already noted that there was a literal physical wall that separated Jews from Gentiles in the temple. But that wall, of course, was symbolic of a deeper separation that was caused by the very law of God. Because the purpose of God's law in the Old Testament was to show Israel how to be his holy people, separate from all the other nations. And so with all its food laws and festivals and sacrifices, these were a constant reminder that the Jews were different. The Gentiles were unclean. The Gentiles were unholy. The Jews alone were God's people. But here we're told that that wall, that law, has been knocked down. It has been abolished. How? Of course, in his life, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. And on the cross, Jesus took that punishment that we deserve for breaking the law. So that now, salvation is no longer a matter of obeying the law. We're now saved by grace alone, through faith alone alone. In Christ alone. And so it no longer matters whether we are Jews or Gentiles. It no longer matters whether we have perfectly kept the law because none of us have. What matters is have we put our faith in Christ? Have we received the salvation that God so graciously offers us? Now, does that mean that we can now ignore the Old Testament because Jesus has abolished the law? Well, of course, no, just because we're not under the law doesn't mean that it's not God's word. The Old Testament law, it still reveals God's righteous character. It still shows us how to love God and one, one another. It still promises Jesus, the coming Messiah. We can still learn from the Old Testament. But the thing is, we're no longer under the law. We no longer need to keep the law to be saved. We are freed from the law and saved by grace. And so the key point that Paul is making here is that the cross ought to unite us. Because we're no no longer under the law, whether we're Jew or we're Gentile, we've been united to Christ and therefore united to one another. See verse 15, what the cross has achieved. Jesus died that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making Christ dies to establish a whole new humanity, no longer two, no longer Jew and Gentile, but one. See, the cross breaks down every barrier that divides us, because the cross proclaims that no matter who you are, no matter what race or previous religion or age or social status or gender, The cross says there's only one way to be right with God. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that means that in the church we are one. We are united. We're all different, but we're all the same. Because we all share in salvation together. United by faith in Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? It is then sad that so often we fail to live this out. Uh, I don't know how many times since I've arrived at St George's that people have pronounced judgment on others on the basis of race. People say, Chinese only care about Chinese, Indians only care about Indians. If someone's close to a Chinese, then they must be against Indians and vice versa. It's very sad. Or people speak Kindly of foreigners because they're foreigners or they reject foreigners because they're foreigners and have all kinds of words to describe them. I Don't know how many times I've heard people pronounce judgments of sexism Saying that people favor men or they favor women or people pronounce judgments based on class Don't you know who I am? Don't you know my riches my influence my social status give me the respect I deserve It's certainly an awful state of affairs, something that I long and pray that God may change among us. And uh, perhaps the existence of those kind of of divisions, of of, of race and gender and class, uh, they show to us our inability to grasp the cross which has broken down every barrier between us. Our failure to understand the gospel of grace, which is for all. Our failure to understand that we are one family, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are profoundly equal, regardless of race, background, gender, social status, or any other marker that the world may use to divide us. The cross unites us with Christ and therefore to one another. So we ought to live at peace with each other. Well, not only has Jesus brought us peace with one another, but more importantly, the cross brings us peace with God. We see that in verse 16. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Yes, Jesus unites us to one another, but he does it by bringing us all peace with God. See, we're all sinners. As we saw in chapter 2, we've all rejected God's rightful rule of our lives. We fall short of his righteous standards. We were dead in our sins. We were by nature children of wrath. But, But on the cross, Jesus dealt with our sins. On the cross, Jesus died in our place. He took that punishment that we deserve so that as his blood was shed, God's wrath was turned away. We were saved by his grace. We were made alive and raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places so that now we are no longer enemies of God. Those who put their faith in Jesus are his beloved children. We have peace with God. Verse 17, he came and he preached you peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to In one spirit to the father what a glorious verse that is because of what Jesus has done you and I can be children of God we can call God our Heavenly Father as his spirit brings us to faith in him we can bring our cares to God knowing that he hears he listens so you have peace with God I have peace with God And we are united to one another. If you are a child of God and I'm a child of God, we're members together of the same family. Do you see what the cross has achieved? In the church, we are meant to see what the world can only dream of. Real peace. Real unity. Peace with one another. Transcending every marker peace with God, drawing near into his presence without fear and with total confidence, knowing that he hears and answers our prayers. Do you see the power of the cross? Paul says, remember who you were. Remember what Christ has done. And finally, remember who you are now. Remember who you are now. And in verses 19 to 22, gloriously, we see everything from verses 11 to and 12 reversed. We were once a foreigner, now a citizen. Once cut off, now a child of God. Once far away, now in the presence of God. Firstly, verse 19, we see that we are now God's people, citizens of his kingdom. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Myself, as a, as a foreigner here in Malaysia, I, I know what it's like to sometimes be excluded. Remember when the MCO started uh, at the beginning last year? During those times, only Malaysian citizens were allowed to attend church. Foreigners like me were excluded for months and months and months. Uh, When you don't have an IC and and, and all the privileges that come with that, you, you often feel on the edge. How wonderful to be a citizen how wonderful to be truly accepted that's what God has done for us no longer foreigners no longer aliens citizens part of God's people those who belong children of God firstly remember who you are now you're one of God's people and secondly not only are we one of God's people a citizen of heaven but we've been adopted into God's own family Verse 19 says, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How amazing is that? That the church is God's heavenly family. We are his children. We know that he loves us. We know that he has promised us an inheritance in in heaven. We know that we can pray to him, that he hears us, he answers us. What a wonderful truth that we are members of the household of God. There's no such thing as a private Christian who never meets with his brothers and sisters. We are saved into a family. The church is God's family. And we spend time together. We love one another. We work at our relationships together. We're God's people. We're God's family. Finally, we're God's. Temple. See, we're no longer far off, distant. Uh, We are now brought near. In fact, God has made his dwelling among us as his perfect temple. Verse 20 says, We are built, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the temple was the place where God symbolically dwelt among his people where his glory could be seen. But the physical temple, building of the Old Testament in Jerusalem, it has been replaced by a, a new temple, a spiritual temple. It's been replaced by God's people. God's church is his perfect temple. Not the building. The church building is not the temple. We don't call the church building the sanctuary and so on. We are the temple. We are his building. Because God dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. And and notice here that that temple is built on a foundation. Verse 20. It is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The church is founded on the word of God preached by the apostles and the prophets in the Old Testament and in the New. And that is a truth that we must constantly remember. It is so easy, isn't it, for the word of God to be displaced from its central place as the foundation of the church. But it is the word of God that creates the church and sustains the church and grows the church. And so, as whenever we gather as God's people, we gather on that foundation to hear the word of God, because we know it's only as we uh, as we hear the word of God that we become the people of God, who will do the will of God. And here also we're told, Jesus. Christ is the cornerstone. That was the first stone placed in the building that would give the building its proper shape, its length and breadth and height. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. In other words, he is the center of the church. And so as we hold fast to the scriptures, with Christ at the center, we're built up to be the church God wants us to be. We We become his holy temple. That is an amazing truth, isn't it? Just imagine, once we were far off, separated from Christ, without God, without hope, but now God has made his dwelling in our hearts. He's given us his Holy Spirit, uh, growing us, changing us, assuring us of his love, making us more and more like Jesus. What a great blessing. We are the church of God with Jesus is the cornerstone, we are citizens of God's kingdom, members of God's family. We are stones in God's spiritual temple. Paul says, "Remember who you were, remember who what Christ has done, and remember who you are now." Well, finally, how do we apply this passage to our lives? Well as we look back on what Christ, on who we were, I think we need to be humble. As we remember who we were before God saved us, as we remember that desperate situation we were in far from God and, and unable to help ourselves, it, it, it makes us humble before God. When we remember that we would never be Christians if it was not for the grace of God at work in our lives, we will stay humble, we will never be proud. We'll never think, I'm a Christian because I'm so good and I'm better than those people. We will only ever be thankful for God's grace, dependent on him to to keep us trusting him, and we'll never take for granted what he's done for us. Be humble. Secondly, we should be united. Uh, We need to remember the peace with God and one another that the cross has achieved. That unity is something that we will need to strive for, isn't it? We need to make a real effort to love those who are different to ourselves. When we find ourselves in a, in a conflict, we actually need to work really hard to resolve it. And if there is a real barrier between us and another Christian, we need to pray that God will give us the strength to overcome it. Surely it won't be easy. But that is what the cross calls us to. Be humble, be united and lastly be holy we need to remember who we are now remember we are God's family we're God's temple we're joined together like living stones we're being built together in maturity in Christ and so if we are we ourselves are God's holy temple then we recognize holiness is not optional in our lives. We need to be fighting against sin individually and together as we build our lives on God's word and seek to live it out, becoming more and more like Christ. And so whatever sin there is in our life, we are to fight against it, whether it's pride, looking down on another Christian, whether it's racism, whether it's laziness, whether it's greed, whether it's anger, whether it's impurity or lust, or whatever are the particular sins that we struggle with. Individually and together, we are to live out our, our new identity as God's family, as God's holy temple, and be holy. And of course, in those times when we feel far from God, and we wonder whether he cares for us, and he hears us, and what well, we need to remember, we are his temple. His spirit dwells within us. He is always with us, no matter what we are going through. Well, let's return to where we began. We live in a nation that is divided, racially, politically. We live in a world that is bitterly divided. And sometimes we see those divisions in our own families and even in our church. Only the gospel has the power to unite us. Only Jesus' death on the cross is able to break down every barrier between us. Only the cross is able to bring real peace with God and with one another. And so let us continue to preach this gospel of grace to all who are still far off, to the many in our nation, in our world, who are still separated uh, from Christ, still uh, without God, without hope in this world, headed on a path to judgment and to hell. Let us keep preaching that gospel of grace to those around us. If you've uh, listened this morning and you've not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ, can I urge you to do that even this morning. Receive Jesus as the King and Saviour of your life and come into this peace with God. But even as we preach this Gospel to others, let us preach this Gospel to ourselves. Let us remind ourselves who we were, what Jesus has done, who we are now that we may truly be the church that God wants us to be. God's family, God's temple, living for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for saving us to be part of your church. We thank you for your gospel promised by the prophets and preached by the apostles, through whom we can have peace with you and one another. We thank you that we can now be citizens of your kingdom, members of your family, and stones in your holy temple. So help us, Lord, to live out our new identity. Help us never to forget the significance of the cross so that we will live out this unity with you and with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name.